Two hunters are reported missing in Bear Mountain National Forest. The Midwest sees the worst drought in 30 years. Civil unrest is imminent. The Northeast power grid has blacked out. Economists fear the worst with falling markets. In other news, the pandemic has gone global. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Survival Tech. How you doing tonight, Matt? Pretty good. And yourself, Corey? Not too bad. Tonight we're going to be finally getting to our episode of uh, Survival Movie Reviews. Man, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Yeah, it's kind of been uh, on our plate to one of the the episodes we want to do for all oh, several weeks. I think it's, what, five, six weeks now? Yeah. But one thing that's nice is we we had to get out the four-part series on the SOP, uh, the bug-out bag, the bug-out vehicle, and the bug-out location. And that was very important, not only to our listeners, but to ourselves, too. And uh, so this is this is a perfect way to wrap that end up because that was, that was heavily ridden with a lot of information, um, some things you didn't want to think about and some things that you do want to think about. So one thing that's that's really nice is, um, you know, we can go ahead and we can have this kind of a a lighter episode, and uh, we can have a little bit of fun with this one, and um, it's it's going to be a a good time. We get to test out some new technology and everything else, and uh, we get to play a voicemail that was left. Um, so this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it's definitely going to be a, a fun episode um, with movie reviews from you know different people, different perspectives. Um, one of the new technology Matt was talking about um, is a uh, conference call that we're going to be doing later with uh, Tim Tay and Hardy. Um, Andy was going to be uh, was supposed to join us, but he was unable to make it um, or unable to be able to call in due to a work conflict. Um, but it's his voicemail that we're going to be playing that he left us. Um, go ahead and giving us his movie reviews. Um, so we're covering uh, eight different movies, um, and then ten, including Andy's two movies. Yep, yep. So um, and, and a lot of the movies that we're going to be reviewing, some of them you're going to be like, I knew those guys were going to do that one. But some of them that you might think that we're going to be reviewing, we're not going to be reviewing. And... Uh, it's to kind of leave it up so we can do another one of these, and and, and we can uh, we can include some other members on the web. And we hope this gets you you know our listeners excited to uh, go ahead and uh, call in and leave us our own our, our voicemail um, of their own, um, and that voicemail can be your movie review. Um, it can also be um, any you know feedback, tips, questions, anything you may have. You know, go ahead and give us a call. And you can find us by, you want to run through the list? Sure, sure, I'd love to. Uh, you can find us at survivaltech.webs.com. You can email us at survival.tech at yahoo.com. 
and the voicemail line that you can reach us at is 206-426-4893. That number again is area code 206-426-4893. So feel free to to use it. And um, uh, Hardy, he actually left a voicemail the other day, and I believe it was pretty close to five minutes long. Yeah, I I thought it was only going to be about two minutes. Yeah, um, so it seems like you guys got some time as long as as you keep the conversation going with the voicemail line. I don't think it'll time out on you. So it was it was my understanding that it would time out right around like two minutes and everything, but but he had he had one hell of a uh, voicemail. So and uh, we had talked to Hardy earlier, and that's one of the movies that he's going to be reviewing tonight. Um, so uh, that's why we were not playing that that voicemail. Um, he told us to go ahead and, and scrap it, and uh, he will uh, give us his um, review tonight. Yeah, sounds good. So, Matt, you want to run through the Intel report? Yes, it's time for the Intel report. We need a we need a bumper for that. We we're gonna have to figure one out. Yeah, I mean, some, definitely. Definitely. It just, it's an every-show thing, so that's right. going to be a good one. Right, we got to have an Intel report bumper. So anyway, more to come with that. I will have that ready next week, I am sure. I'm sure of it. Um, okay, so for the Intel report, you know, what's been going on this past week? Um, as Corey has said, you know, we've we've got this new technology, um, and, spe- and going along with the technology, you know, the, the conference call, it's going to be a great thing. Uh, we're testing it out tonight and possibly being able to use it for more applications in the future. And more to come on that. We're going to go ahead and give you a little bit of a cliffhanger. Hang on. You guys will definitely find out next week what's what's uh, in the works for that. Um, so we've been doing some testing with the Zello. And um, Hardy and I, we had contacted each other. Um, on Zello, um, talking about about tonight's uh, uh, episode and everything, and um, we had a little bit of a problem. I'm pulling up the forum post right now, and I pretty much said that Hardy and I were able to use it, and it went well. Um, the only issue that I really seen was the time that allows you to keep the button pushed is right around 30 seconds. Um, so you need to get whatever's on your mind out um, before it times out on you. Um, it will go ahead and end your transmission, and you know it, it, it won't allow what you're saying to come through. Um, Hardy actually brought up another push-to-talk app, um, and when... I went ahead and I made a forum post on it, and not only did he um, reply what he was thinking of, but we also have a couple different ones. So maybe if we could get some people out there testing it, um, maybe Zello wasn't the best choice to jump to. There might be something else. If that's the case, you know, we'll go ahead and we'll you know either shut down Zello or or use it as a backup or something else. But the other apps that that we all need to look at and possibly do some testing. I know, I know, Corey and I, um, we're big fans of, of testing stuff, especially if it's free. Um, I don't want anybody to pay for anything if they don't have to. 
and I don't really like endorsing anything that does cost money. Um, you know, as, as Corey well knows and, and all of our listeners, um, I'm extremely frugal with everything. So anyway, J.C. Archer, uh, he wrote in the forum that Blip.me Walkie Talkie is another one that he saw, and it has multiple platforms um, and group chat as well. So that might be something that we need to look into. And uh, DJJ Love, uh, he said another walkie-talkie app that he has used himself is Voxer. Um, I'm not sure if that's for iPhone and Android. That's one thing that's nice about Corey and I. I've got an Android phone. Corey has an iPhone. So any testing in between the two platforms, we can do it right on the spot. And uh, it's kind of nice. And then the one that Hardy was thinking of that was, and he was talking to me, um, was Haytel. And that's H-E-Y-T-E-L-L was the one that he was thinking of. So that gives us a couple different options other than Zello that maybe if you guys have a preference or whatever, definitely go over to the forum and let us know which, which one is the better. Um, you know, like I said, you know, Hardy and I, we, we we seem to to have a pretty decent transmission between us, and that's stretching you know from from Ohio to Kansas you know and and we're both I believe using Wi-Fi at the at the time that we're we're uh, using it. Um, some other things that are that are going in with the uh, the forum post. There's been hatchets, axes, and hawks. Um, there's been some decent posts in there. Um, Andy, uh, he's the one that created that forum, and Tim Tay had replied to it. Um, uh, there was a Right in the Rain um, forum post, and that also has a video that Hardy has done, and I strongly urge everybody to go and check that out. Um, it's pretty much a waterproof notepad. And one thing that's really nice about that is if anybody works out in the field, um, like I do, I, uh, w- with my job, um, you know, I, I do split my time sometimes, you know, being, being inside and, and at a desk and then also, you know, out in the field. Um, sometimes the days that you have to be out in the field aren't the days that you pick. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes it rains and sometimes you have to take notes while you're in the field. And so definitely check it out. Um, I'm going to be having some, uh, some questions for Hardy a little bit later on when we talk to him over the conference call. And uh, so definitely look for that because I've got some questions for him. And maybe see, since he has the Right in the Rain product, if he can't maybe do a little bit more testing for us. Um, but yeah, there's been some, some, great, some great forum posts. And the big thing is we have two new members, Corey. I've seen that. So let me go ahead and pull them up. Pull them up as well. Yep. Okay. The two newest members are Jay Dan. Uh, he's from Northeast Kansas. Welcome, Jay Dan, to Survival Tech. Uh, we look forward to, to hearing from you here soon. And Josh, um, he's from Scranton, Pennsylvania. So he's kind of... Kind of a, a neighbor, I guess you could say, uh, neighbor and state over. So, Josh, welcome to Survival Tech. 
Um, both you and Jay Dan, we, we definitely look forward to, to what you guys have to offer this community. Um, this community is, is building. Um, we're starting to get, I, I know we, we kept saying that it would be really nice to have 50 members. 45 members is great too. Um, so let's just go ahead and let's keep pushing that back. Next week, come on guys, if you're a listener to Survival Tech, it doesn't cost anything. After your downloads on, on iTunes, come over to survivaltech.webs.com and join and start posting, you know, check out the, uh, different forum posts and everything. In fact, just now, uh, Andy, Andy just, uh, five minutes ago, uh, posted something about carrying concealed. So as quickly as that, and, uh, right now it is 9.34 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So, Andy had just posted something, you know, not five minutes ago. And so this is an ever-evolving platform, and we have a lot of great information out here um, for you guys. And hopefully we all can learn together and, uh, you know, get what we want out of, you know, different aspects of survival from car breaking down, spending a night in the woods to the complete shit hit the fan. Let's all learn together. One thing I want to throw out there is... uh if you haven't checked it out already, check out Peter Bruce's page at pdws.biz. Um, it is really neat self-defense tool. Uh, Peter was kind enough to send us a few samples of them. Um, Matt and I got some and uh, included them to our bags and to our EDC um, and kind of test them out on each other and, uh, you know, see what we could do with them. And, uh, they're really nice tools. Um, they're nice, heavy duty stout. Um, and the nice thing that Peter has done is, uh, giving us one for a, um, contest giveaway. So, uh, look forward to, uh, details of that coming soon. Yes. Yes. And, and Corey, I think everybody's going to love your new eye patch. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's another way to use it. Right there. Oh, no, I was talking about when I popped your eye out with it. Oh, it was, I'll tell you what, man, that thing's got some potency to it. And see, what's what's nice is it's, just just go to the website and check it out. It's, it's a lot of great tools. There's multiple uses. Um, if anybody has had any martial arts training, you will start seeing the uses for these um, as soon as you pick it up. Um, I mean, it's, it's just, it's great. It's great. You know, definitely check it out. And, uh, and like Corey said, you know, we, we got some to, to give away to some contests, but, uh, I think we're going to have, uh, Peter help us out with, with figuring out the contest and, uh, so we can get them to you guys. Well, Corey, is, uh, is that pretty much it? I believe that wraps up the Intel report. Well, sounds good. Um, like I said, you know, go ahead and check us out, you know, survivaltech.webs.com, survival.tech at yahoo.com, and definitely, you know, call the voicemail line. So, oh, I just want to give a shout-out to everybody about our uh, recent cert training. Um, we just finished up week four. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot to report on in the last two weeks, week three and week four. It was uh, disaster medical, so we were, um, you know, learning the – the do's and don'ts of uh, disaster medical and how it differs from uh, a regular, you know, medical emergency. Um, 
learning about three different killers, you know, airway breathing or airway bleeding and uh, shock. shock and how to uh, it's shock and all <laughs> how to, uh, you know, make different splints out of the materials you have at hand. Um, see, that was great because <laughs> in a disaster situation, what do you have? You got what's laying around you. Right. And, I mean, that was that was fantastic going over that. In fact, uh, let's see, uh, you were complimented, or, were you not, Corey? I was complimented. I was asked if I had any, uh, you know, medical training before this, um, because as well, you know, the I did so well at the uh, the mock uh, simulation uh, disaster that we had uh, during our training class. Yeah. And, Which uh, I have not had any, you know, uh, professional training as far as, you know, medical, just what I've read and, and what I've learned from other forums and, and um, posts and, and now cert. So, um, hopefully I can help someone else, uh, evolve and, and kind of learn, um, as, you know, and become as, you know, I don't want to say as good as me because I have a lot to learn, but. Right. Um, you know, just be able to uh, strengthen their skills in a disaster, you know, medical field. See, that's that, go ahead. That that's the big thing about cert. You know, it's not like, you know, Corey and I are now field surgeons. We are <laughs> the farthest from it. You know, um, the only one that I would I would maybe uh, uh, trust with that would probably be my wife, who is in the medical field. And, uh, you know, she, she did really good during the cert training, um, as well. In fact, we had a guy, um, uh, that was our mock victim and his shoulder was really hurting. And so we went and, you know, the, we had, we had what was it? Three different scenarios, uh, different injuries. Yeah. And, we had, uh, uh, an arm injury, a leg injury and a shoulder injury. And when we got to the shoulder injury, uh, that was the one that my wife was doing. And, uh, boy, she, she wrapped him up and gave him a sling and everything just with a couple different bandages and, and, you know, just stuff that we had laying around. And he's like, he's like, wow, that, that really, that really feels good. He's <laughs> like, he's like, my shoulder really hurt before. He's like, I, I popped it out or something. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's hurting and, and, uh, you know, my wife Meg on, on the forum and, and all, yeah, that's, that's, you know, real original, but that's her, her, <laughs> her, her handle is just, uh, Meg. But, uh, yeah, my wife Meg, you know, we're, we're doing it and, you know, I just, I see her jump into action. And I'm sure it was probably the same with, with, uh, the guys that were working with Corey. If you get into it and you just, you take that barrier away of, you know, being around other people and, and invading their personal space and everything else. Um, and you just get in there and you start doing it and you start acting like a first responder. It really makes a big difference. And, you know, it's, I just, I was, I was absolutely amazed at how Megan, you know, just jumped in and then it's like, dawned on me. It's like, well, she's in the medical field. She does this all the time anyway, you know, but it's just, it was amazing that, you know, this is like the first time I actually seen her like in action, you know, and, uh, it was, it was pretty amazing. You know, it was, it was a great scenario, a lot of good information. Um, so like what Corey and I've been saying, 
if you have a cert around you, it's definitely worth taking the training, even if you're not going to join the community emergency response team afterwards. It's definitely still good to go and get the training just for yourselves. But one and what is, was my neat to see is you know people that aren't you know as outgoing or, or willing to jump into situations or put themselves out there. Um, but when you're in that situation, your mindset kind of changes, and you know you, you it pulls you out of you know that state and, and puts you into you know a responder mode kind of. That's the way it was you know with my wife. You know when we had her when the lady was down, that's what she had you know. There was an injury there. She had to fix it, and usually she's not that, you know, not as outgoing to, you know, jump into a situation like that. Well, the biggest it was need to see, and it wasn't just her. There was, you know, some younger kids and some, you know, some uh, other people in the class that, you know, don't seem to be as outgoing. But you know, in the in, during the disaster, it was, you know, they were all all hands on deck. Yeah, and the biggest thing is, you know, we're all wired to help each other. I mean, that's just human nature. For the most part, the good human nature is if there's something going on, you know, you have to help. It's, you know, for those of us that are parents and your kid starts to choke on something, you know, your mind, you know, completely flips. You know, if you've got a weak stomach or whatever else, next thing you know, you either, you know, God forbid, but, you know, digging the hot dog out of their throat, you know, and just taking over and you're not scared. You're just you're doing what you have to do. You know, that adrenaline kicks in, and that was kind of the way the, the whole cert was. You know, it was, of course, in a controlled environment, so you didn't have the adrenaline kicking in, but it still simulated that, and that was that was completely awesome. And it's neat to see how every, every week builds on the last week. Right. And uh, I'm looking forward to this coming week, which is search and rescue. Yeah. I'm uh, really looking forward to seeing what we learn from that. Yeah, but, uh, and in fact, that, that's kind of funny that that you uh, you brought that up because I haven't even talked to you about this. I uh, my stepson's in, in Cub Scouts, and uh, uh, his Cub Master used to train uh, search and rescue dogs. So I was picking her brain last night uh, at the uh, at the pack meeting, and um, I was asking her about you know possibly what I need to do for my dog. And uh, uh, for those of you out there that I don't know if we've even told the story of our uh, cardboard box labs or not, Corey. Um, but Corey had found um, seven. seven puppies yes, in a cardboard box. Abandoned in the sun. Yeah, out in the middle of a field next to a very Park. highly traveled road. I mean, it was, it was a bad situation. It could have gotten really bad really quick. But Corey jumped out and saved them, found good homes, for all of them, and uh, uh, so my dog is one of the ones that Corey found, and uh, thank you, man, because she's the best dog ever, and uh, so, uh, you know, I was kind of asking, you know, what what can I do to, to get my dog Riley, you know, into search and rescue, because she's just, she's so sweet, she's attentive, she's, um, you know, she's extremely smart, you know, she's, we call them cardboard box labs, because they're definitely a lot of lab in them. We don't know exactly what else is in them. So Corey found them in a cardboard box, so they're a cardboard box lab. So anyway, I was, I was picking her brain, and, you know, I kept telling her, you know, how, how great Riley is. And 
And uh, so she's asking me all these questions, and it's like, yeah, she can do that. Yeah, she does that. And she's like, does she critter? I'm like, well, what do you really mean by critter? And she's like, does she chase critters? <laughs> and I go, oh, yeah. I said, uh, yeah, that's kind of my fault. I said, originally, I said, depending on how much lab she had in her, I said I was going to, I was going to uh, hunt her waterfowl, so I started training her um, to fetch and retrieve um, goose. And uh, and I said it, it kind of switched, you know, when when she finally got to her size, and there was no way that I was going to, you know, I mean she's she's decent size, you know, she's she's uh, uh, almost seventy pounds, you know, female lab, but I just I still don't want to put her up against a goose and she's not really um she's not completely comfortable with water like she'll go out and swim and you know stuff like that but she's not like die hard diving in so you know if you if you can't if you can't get them to do that then you know she's definitely not a not a waterfowler um but uh <laughs> she does go after rabbits and she is an excellent excellent squirrel dog um that's that's the one animal that she does not really like at all and she trees squirrels on a on a constant basis so once i found out that she does critter yeah uh that kind of scrubs her from being a sar dog so anyway i love her anyway you know that's that's fine you know so i i think you know Corey and i we're we're still going to look into uh uh, a little bit more training in search and rescue, but, you know, hopefully Riley, she's going to have to, you know, stay home on that one. So, <laughs> or else she'll be, you know, chasing all the squirrels and not chasing, <laughs> not finding people. Now, if you're dressed up like a squirrel, she'd find them. Lost. Oh, yeah, it's on. It's on. She'll have them up in a tree and lickety split. So, all right, Corey, uh, I think this is a perfect time. To go ahead and let's go ahead and and, and break. Um, we're going to go ahead and get everything else set up for the guys, and we're going to play the voicemail from Andy, and we'll move right in and we'll introduce uh, the members, and you'll you know you'll hear their voices and all, and uh, we'll just go from there. All right, sounds good. All right, Corey, and to all of our listeners, thanks for listening, and uh, you know we'll. Talk to you guys in just a few minutes. Hello, there's Corey and Matt, and hello there, Survival Tech. This is uh, Andy. I was calling in because I was going to talk on the uh, podcast tonight, but uh, I'm unable to do so due to work. So I'm calling in about my uh, some of my favorite survival movies. And the first one I'm going to mention is uh, Castaway with Tom Hanks. Uh, for those of you not familiar with the movie, uh, his character is uh, lost in a plane crash and ends up on your Pacific deserted island and. Uh, has to uh, learn how to survive. It's uh, I think it's a great survival movie from just a survival standpoint because it deals with all sorts of issues that you would have in that situation without glossing over them. The scene where he has a medical problem, he has a toothache, and he has to use an ice skate to hammer the tooth out of his out of his head, and uh, his struggle to get fire, and his struggle with loneliness and just being trapped out in the middle of nowhere with nothing and no one for company, and he finds a volleyball that becomes his friend. And his dealing with that all the way up to where he's about to kill himself and commit suicide 
and then deciding to try and rescue himself instead of just kill himself, kind of die getting rescued, and eventually being saved. is a, It's a really good movie, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, it's definitely worth watching. Um, then another survival movie, I'm going to you know delve into zombie survival, my favorite zombie survival movie, would have to probably be Shaun of the Dead right now. Um, it's a really, really entertaining movie. Uh, if anyone has, if people haven't seen it, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, one of my favorite survival scenes is when they run across the other group of people that aren't zombies, and they ask, "Hey, well, you know, what, what are you guys doing?" And they ask each other where they're going, and and Sean's party tells them, "Well, we're heading for the Winchester. You know, we're going in town and going to the pub, and we're going to hole up there." And other people say that we're heading for the countryside because there's, you know, town's full of zombies, so we're getting out of there. And uh, it's just funny in the end, you know, it, it really works out a lot better for the people that get out of town in the case of the zombies. So uh, those are uh, some of my uh, favorite survival movies or some survival movies that I think are definitely worth a watch. Um, and as uh, Matt and Cor would say, I guess stay alive, America. And uh, I hope the rest of the podcast and the discussion goes great. Have a good one. Bye. All right, and thanks a lot, Andy. I appreciate your your voicemail that you left us. Um, to everybody out there that's listening now, we are using our conference call technology, and uh, we've got some special guests with us tonight that's going to help us. Corey, you want to go ahead and introduce the guys for us? Yeah, along with uh, Matt and I, we have uh, Hardy. Hey there. And we have... Uh, Tim Tay. Hey, everybody. Yeah, what we're going to be doing is we're going to go ahead and do a small roundtable where we've got some movies for you guys, and uh, we're going to be doing some reviews. Um, what we're going to do is uh, we're each going to pick we, – we pick two movies each tonight. Um, so we will each review one. And then we'll go around the table again, and we'll review the second movie. So uh, let's see. How do you guys want to do this? Just alphabetical order? And uh, let's see. Who's uh, who's up first? Yes, alphabetical order for me. I volunteer Hardy first. <laughs> well, I was, thinking, I was, I was uh, doing the alphabet in my head, which kind of hurts sometimes. But uh, I guess, yeah, Hardy goes before K. <laughs> I, I can start. That's no problem. No problem at all. <laughs> okay. Well, just launching right into this. Um, I am reviewing a movie called Take Shelter, and it was released in 2001. It's an independent film, uh, kind of low budget. I don't even think it was in the theaters, but I, I got this from Redbox. And uh, uh, so if you have Redbox in your area, uh, go check it out because it is a, it's a great movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, it stars a guy named Michael Shannon. Uh, you may not recognize the name, but once you see this guy, uh, you'll recognize him. He's been in a lot of other movies, and I forget. I'm looking at IMDb right now, but I forget what other movies he's been in. But once you see him, yeah, he's kind of a down-home country kind of guy. He's recognizable. can't miss him. Um, but basically, this story, this movie takes place in Ohio. Uh, I think it was actually filmed in, in, in Matt's backyard. Um, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you, but essentially, do you, 
What's Do that? they have the town? Uh, no, I, well, they mentioned the town, but I forget what it's called. But okay. It's it, it, it's got a it's flat. You know, there's not too much uh, mountains or anything like that around or hills, but it's real flat. I mean, really, I'm from Kansas. It kind of looks like the area that I grew up in. Uh, but basically, this guy, uh, he starts, he's just an average Joe. He has a construction job, uh, has a wife, happily married. Uh, they have a, a little girl who is deaf, so she's got some medical issues going on. And, uh, you know, life is normal. Life's fine. They struggle with money, as everybody does. One day he has a, a, a bad dream, and it's so vivid and so real, but it's, he dreams that this massive storm is rolling in with tornadoes and lightning and, you know, high winds, and the rain it looks like motor oil. It's dark, and it's just ominous, and it scares him really, really bad. And he kind of wonders, is this real or not? And... You know, throughout the movie, he keeps having these dreams of one, his dog attacks him. Another one, people start, you know, persecuting him. They snatch his daughter. Um, you know, people that he knows, people that he loves are suddenly just kind of going insane. And so he feels compelled to protect his family. And there's this old storm shelter in the backyard that's really just used. It's, you know, got trash piled up on top of it. And he decides, you know, I need to clean that out and, and make that serviceable. Uh, so he gets down in there, and it's really small. Um, so he decides that he's going to expand it. And he goes and buys a, a big, you know, shipping container. And he gets his buddy to help him from work, and he borrows a backhoe from work, which is not a good idea to do, you know, to, in order to bury this thing. And... You know, while he's doing all this, you know, preparing to for this big, massive storm that's coming, he's also wondering if he's going insane uh, just because of the nature of these dreams. And his mother has schizophrenia. And so he starts, he talks to his mom. Um, you know, he starts talking to, a, you know, a, a psychiatrist and then, you know, a counselor. Uh, wondering if he's got schizophrenia because he's sure that the only way he could be doing this is going crazy, but yet he still feels compelled to make these preparations for this massive storm that's coming. Um, well, he, you know, this almost tears his family apart because he uh, uh, takes out a home improvement loan in order to build the shelter, and his wife doesn't know about it, which, <laughs> guys, it's never a good thing to go and invest a bunch of money you know, or your wife pulls up and you've got this big backhoe and sitting in the backyard. Um, but, uh, you know, and then also he gets fired from his job because he borrowed this equipment, which, you know, the liability reasons, uh, not smart. So now they're really in trouble financially. And, you know, to make a long story short, at the very end of the movie, you learn, is he really crazy? Or is there actually a big ominous storm that's coming? And I'm not going to give it away because you need to go watch it. But the movie's kind of slow. Uh, you really have to sit and watch it. You can't, you know, be doing other things. Uh, if you watch it when you're tired, you're probably going to fall asleep. But really, it's worth sitting and watching because at the end, I was like, oh, cool. You know, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, but... Uh, 
you know, it's, it's well written. It's, the acting was great. Um, I mean, it was kind of one of those movies that uh, if I hadn't heard about it, I probably wouldn't have watched it. But I'm really glad that I took the time to watch this movie. So I strongly recommend it. Um, so that's all I got to say about that. You guys have any questions about it? Yeah, we um, we actually have our new rating system that uh, Corey's been using for his reviews, and uh, it's based on the campfire. Uh, uh-huh. Five campfires is great. One campfire is, you know, it's not that great. Um, what would you give it on a scale of one to five campfires? Well, I would say probably, let's go four, four campfires. I mean, that was me. Somebody else might give it a three. But, uh, you know, because of how slow it is. I mean, it really, action is pretty slow. Uh, but I enjoyed it. It was thought-provoking, and it, it was it was realistic in that, I don't know, as someone who is concerned about, you know, survival or preparing for this what-if situation that, that possibly could come or may never come, uh, I get people looking at me like I'm crazy sometimes, too, you know. And I can relate to this. Am I crazy? Is nothing ever going to happen? Uh, is this, you know, food that I have stored up, is it going to sit there for the next 50 years and never get used? Was all this for nothing? Um, so I could definitely relate to it in that sense. And it was just it was a good movie to watch. It's, it's very entertaining. Thought-provoking. Well, sounds good. And especially being... You know, set right here in Ohio. It seems like all movies are set in Ohio. Yeah, for some, for some reason, you know, you you've, if you look at, at a lot of the the real good movies, there's some aspect where it ties it back to Ohio. I don't know if anybody else has, has you know kind of looked into that, but um, you know, Corey and I we we joke about it quite a bit because uh, oh well, we live in Ohio, so <laughs> but. But yeah, um, just that aspect alone of of being a movie that was you know supposedly taking place you know locally for Corey and I, uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm definitely really interested in it. Is uh, is Redbox the only place that you've been able to find it? Really? I haven't looked anywhere else. You can probably get it on Netflix. Um, it's not. I don't think it's live. You know, or, uh, streaming, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I got, I got it from Redbox. Uh, Red That's where I found it. Sounds good. Another uh, good place to find movies, if, if, you know, hard to find movies I've been finding is uh, through Amazon. Um, they've been having a lot of movies that, you know, Netflix doesn't have on DVD or on, uh, you know, Instant. Um, but you can rent them, you know, from Amazon or Amazon Instant. Um, I know you can watch them on your computer and also uh, PS3. You can stream them from there. Um, mm-hmm. So that's going to be another place for you know someone to look for uh, any of the movies that we talked about tonight. So I guess I'm next. Um, yep. I'm next in the alphabet. And uh, I'm going to talk about 127 hours. Um, if you haven't seen 127 hours, you may have heard the story in the news. Um, it is based on a true story of uh, Aaron Ralston, um, and his uh, he's a uh, like extreme sports 
outdoor um, hiking, bicycling, out, you know, type of person. Um, and back in April of 2003, he decides to uh, go on one of his, you know, canyon adventures um, out in Utah. And his mistake was he doesn't tell anybody where he's going. He just gets up one day, packs a small, you know, day bag, and goes out like he's done many times before. Um, it's kind of it's got some character building in the beginning. He meets these two girls. He shows them, you know, a good time, and they, you know, do some adventures out in the the canyons, and they, you know, go their separate ways. Um, he just kind of leaves them, says goodbye, and goes about his about his business, um, hiking throughout the canyon. Um, but he makes a, a terrible mistake and uh, falls 65 foot down into a uh, crevice in the in the Utah Canyon. Um, where a boulder traps one of his one of his arms, um, and he's unable to free himself. Uh, he uses his you know own mind to, to help him find you know ways to you know cope with the situation. Um, uh, at one point in the movie, at least, um, he drops his bag and his gear, and he's able to. He's got to try to you know recover it. Um, only using one hand, so it's kind of neat to see, you know, how he does that. Uh, if you're ever in a similar situation, you know, you might be able to learn some pointers from, you know, what to use, what you have on you that you may not think of it as an EDC. I know we've kind of talked about this in the past, but you know, using like your belt, which is what I believe he used uh, to recover his bag. But as he's stuck down there. Um, his rations start going lower and lower. And as his rations start going lower and lower, his mind starts to slip. And he starts thinking about his home life. And he starts thinking about um, his family troubles that he's been having with his parents. And he's been thinking about past relationships and, you know, what what he did wrong. And he's videotaping all this, trying to, you know, give a last a goodbye to his family. And when it comes down to it, it's, does he have the will to, you know, survive? And it's pretty amazing. I won't – if you haven't watched it, I don't want to give it away, um, or if you haven't heard the story. But it's amazing what he does, you know, when he, that he can find it in himself to be able to do um, in order, you know, to survive the situation. Kind of gave it away there, but <laughs> um, it's definitely worth watching. There are points in the movie, there's a lot of flashbacks, it kind of jumpy. Um, so, you know, you kind of really have to watch and try to pay attention which is real and which is a flashback or an illusion. Um, so it kind of takes, you know, don't try to watch it when you have kids running around and, and you're not able to, you know, concentrate on the movie. Um, but it, it's really good and it's amazing what, you know, the human body can do once you start losing your water and start losing your rations and uh, what your mind makes you capable of doing. Has, have you guys all seen it? I haven't seen it yet. Um, I, I saw an interview with this guy, and uh, I, I got to say, you don't think of a Swiss Army knife quite the same way ever again. <laughs> no. No, not at all. And um, it's... Uh, <laughs> During the movie, you know, they, they explain it a little better and, and show it. And um, there's times that you gotta have to look away for a minute. <laughs> um, 
But it was, it was it was a good awesome. movie. Nice. What's that? You said it was a, a pretty dull knife. It wasn't very sharp. Yeah. Um, and he still, you know, goes out um, now, and he still is an outdoorsman. Um, he still, you know, does mountain climbing. Um, after the accident uh, in 2008, he did an expedition um, in Chile and in Argentina, uh, mountain climbing out there. So, uh, you know, he's still active, um, and he intends to uh, climb Mount Everest. I'm on his uh, Wikipedia site um, getting this information. So, yeah, yeah, he's still an active outdoorsman. It didn't let him stop him or, uh, you know, scare him away from uh, the wilderness of what he enjoys. He just uh, now tells people where he's going before he leaves. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Does he carry a bigger knife? I would assume he at least sharpened his Swiss Army knife. <laughs> at least sharpened it? <laughs> I think he at least sharpened it. I hope it's a sharper knife. <laughs> he probably just has a, 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 you know, a ice pick or, you know, yeah, an ice pick or whatever, yeah, um, you know, now, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. He, I think, um, you know, he does have uh, some sort of prosthetic um, in the picture that I'm seeing here. Um, that it, you know that he uses to help him aid in his current situations. Yeah, that's that's amazing. True story. It, I mean, it, it's a true story, and that's what you got to keep telling yourself. You know, this is a true story, and he video recorded it. So a lot of the movie is pretty close to what really happened because they had the videos to go off of. Was it a James Franco that that starred in this? Oh, I think yeah. So. Back up. I think it was. It was in Pineapple Express and. Yep. Yeah, that was James Franco. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh shoot! So yeah, that's uh. Was, so... Go ahead. Well, go I ahead. think we've kind of already given it away. Um, when his arm is pinned, he's got to make the decision. You know. That uh, either he's gonna lose his arm because it's crushed, or he's gonna, you know, if he does get rescued, his arm, he's gonna lose his arm anyways because it's already crushed and it's been crushed for so long. Um, or he can never get rescued, and he's gotta try and, you know, find a way to rescue himself. So he uses the Swiss Army knife and uh, frees himself from the boulder. Um, and when he gets to the to the nerves in his arm. That's the the part that he wishes he sharpened his knife before he left. Because it tears it instead of cuts it. Didn't you say that the nerve was moving all around? Yeah. Because he was trying to cut it or something? That's the point that both <laughs> me and my wife both had. I mean, I'm not. there's a whole lot that doesn't, you know, turn my stomach. One is a broken fingernail for some reason. When you bend the fingernail bracket, just twist my stomach and um that that part of the movie I had to look away. <laughs> <laughs> At least oh, it's a real good movie. As far as survival, um I rated a, a five you know, five fires. Um it really is when you're out in the wilderness by yourself and it goes terribly wrong then, you know, what do you have the you know willpower to do? 
and it really explain you know it really I think grabbed the essence of uh self survival. It's, it's on my That's list. Cool. I got. I gotta watch that one. Yeah, yeah I haven't seen it yet either, but on my list. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> believe it or not, I have not watched it either, and uh, I think it's kind of funny how it's kind of slipped our radars for so long. But uh, yeah, it sounds like a good one, Corey. That's 127 hours, right? 127 hours. Wow. Well, I guess it's up to me now. Um, I am going to switch it up a little bit, and I'm going to go ahead and and review Carriers. Uh, This film was made in 2009. Um, It's built as a drama slash horror slash thriller. Um, It stars uh, Lou Taylor uh, Pucci. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Chris Pine. Um, he's, he's played in quite a few movies here lately. Uh, Piper Paravo, um, you best, she's probably best known for, uh, Coyote Ugly. And, uh, Emily Van Camp and, uh, Christopher Maloney. And Christopher Maloney, um, he is, I can't think of it right offhand, um, Law and Order. He plays uh, Detective uh, Elliot uh, Stabler. Um, so he's on, uh, uh, I think it's what Criminal Intent or whatever. Anyway, um, you'll you'll know Christopher Maloney when Law and Order. Yep, Criminal you know, Intent. Uh, they named that after Chuck Norris's legs. <laughs> Are you serious? They did. Law You're gonna break out a Chuck. You're gonna break out a Chuck Norris joke. <laughs> I had to. Oh man, <laughs> man, you slipped that in really nice and quick, man. That was pretty good. Um, <laughs> I lost my train of thought now. Thanks, Corey. Um, so anyway, <laughs> Carriers back in 2009. Um, what happens is this deadly virus. Um, is sweeping the nation, and uh, two boys and two girls, uh, Christopher Pine and his younger brother, um, and Christopher Pine's um, uh, girlfriend, who's Piper Paravo, um, and the Chris Pine's younger brother's friend from high school. I believe it. I believe they're in high school still, like seniors. Um, they're planning on trying to get away from the virus, and what they're going to do is they've picked out this bug-out location. It's a motel um, that's on a beach, and it's in the southwestern uh, United States, so definitely assume it's uh, southwestern California. And um, they're just, they're trying to get there, and their plan is, to get to this motel that they used to visit when they were kids and go ahead and let the virus die off and then they're going to come out afterwards and try and start their lives again. So they're traveling down the road. This is a road movie. 
and, uh, you know, a lot of desert scenes, and um, they end up running out of gas. And um, I'm sorry, they don't run out of gas. It's been a while since I've seen it. They end up coming across Christopher Maloney and um, his daughter, and they've had car troubles, and come find out Chris Pine ends up having car troubles as well. Um, they drive right past him. They don't want anything to do with him at first, but when they start having car troubles, they're forced to go back and kind of see what's going on with them, and maybe they're not infected, and they can maybe help each other out. Well, come find out Christopher Maloney's daughter is infected, and they have a little bit of a Mexican standoff, and um, they end up they end up uh, helping each other out. And there's a high school that has been converted over to um, pretty much a uh, a shelter, and it's like a shelter and a a half operation hospital. Um, where they're they're trying to treat the disease, and um, word's gotten out that there might be a serum that wa- that that has the cure for the disease in it, and um, so they go ahead and and they block off a section of this SUV and um, uh, tape it all off and everything, and the daughter's sitting in the back, and uh, because she, you know she's infected and everything. And uh, they end up getting to the hospital and, well, the high school slash hospital. And what they come across is not what they're they expected to come across. Um, they're expecting, you know, a lot of people, um, a lot of government agencies, you know, coming in trying to help. Uh, they're expecting the serum that has the cure. None of that is there. Um, they pretty much go into a ghost town of just corpses. Um, They end up finding one doctor who is left. Um, Everybody else is dead, and there's this one room that's set up with a whole bunch of sick kids that are infected, and the doctor is getting ready to commit suicide, and he's going to leave the kids to die uh, because they're just, there isn't any help for this. Um, so, between struggles and, you know, helping each other out and, and you know, contact with, with the sick girl, Piper Parabo ends up becoming infected. Well, she ends up not telling anybody, and uh, they go ahead and they leave Christopher Maloney and his daughter there, and they get the hell away. So... They end up coming across this band of um, survivalists, and um, that, that's how they're built in the movie. And um, they kind of they kind of take the kids in, and um, they're they end up deciding that they're going to go ahead and they want the boys to leave, Chris Pine and his brother, but they're going to keep the girls, and. Um, you know, no one wants that, so they you know, start getting into fights and everything. Well, he who has the guns makes the rules. So survivalists end up saying, "Look, you know, we're we're going to take the girls. There's nothing you can do about it." The um, 
they start checking the girls out and come to find out Piper Bravo is infected. You know, she's got the bruising, she's got the lesions, everything else. They say, look, get the hell away, and they send them on their way. Um, things start happening. Um, Chris Pine, he, um, you know, after that he realizes that, you know, his girlfriend is um, infected and um, he himself is also infected. And uh, he leaves her at a gas station um, after realizing that, yeah, he's already infected too. But he just leaves her for dead. And um, it's it's just a really dark movie. Um, you know, the, the subject matter is extremely dark. Um, dealing with, you know, do I really go in and, and help somebody that's in need of help or do I just mind my own business and you know, for my own survival, um, and it really tugs at the lines of this, you know, are you going to possibly put yourself in danger when, you know, there's a chance that um, even though it's a child, it might end up hurting you, and, you know, it's just, it's a lot of big, it's a lot of big decisions that puts it out in front of you, and what exactly are you going to do when, you know, there's something such as, you know, a viral plague that's coming out, um, you know, and there's nobody to help. Um, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of the characters get sick, and, you know, they're at the end. Um, you know, sometimes your bug out location and the thought of, you know, getting to that destination, you know, changes over the course of the disaster itself. And, you know, maybe it's it's worth going to and maybe it wasn't worth going to, you know, depending on, uh, you know, the gains and losses of the trip itself. So it's it's a good movie. Um, you know, it's a, it's a little bit slow in the beginning. Once you start getting into it, it hooks you. Uh, you can't stop watching it. It's right around 90 minutes. Um, like I said, you know, a lot of... There's a lot of big names in this, people that, that you, you will recognize. Um, so I myself, I give it I give it a good four out of five campfires. And uh, have you guys seen it by any chance? I've seen it. Um, I'd kind of forgotten about it. <clears throat> and while you were talking about it, I was trying to go back through my in my mind. And, and I think the darkness of it and the fact that there's no hope uh, was one thing that, you know, really bothered me about the movie. But now that I think about it, you know, it's really very realistic in that sense. And also, I found myself just getting really ticked off at, uh, I forget his name, but, you know, Piper's oh, boyfriend. Chris Pine? Chris yeah, Pine. Uh, he's Captain he Kirk, right, in, in yeah. Star Trek? He, if I remember right in the movie, he's just a real... I mean, he's basically the Shane of the group, you know, Shane in Walking Dead. Doesn't hesitate to do what you say really is the the hard choice. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. like he leaves her behind. I think he he wants to kill the little girl or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he ends up, they they end up running out of gas. And um, uh, after after they deal with the, the survivalists and all, they end up running out of gas. And they come across... Um, two women that are uh, broke down on the side of the road, 
and uh, he he has turned into such a cold character that um, they end up getting in a gunfight. Uh, you know, the the one lady shoots him, and he kills her, and yeah. he does it for gas. Yeah, just so they can move on and get to their destination because he doesn't care anymore. And the whole time, you know, he he knows he's infected. So, yeah, you know, decisions like that was like, well, you know, I'm already dead anyway. So, you know, what's what's the point? I mean, that's 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 disturbing, you know, to say the least. You know, when when people don't have when people don't have a choice anymore. Yeah, that that makes him dangerous, and it, it, it shows in his character. Makes you wonder what kind yeah, of person uh, you're, you're facing. That you know, if, if you would be the cold-blooded, you know, survivalist, uh, you know, willing to take anything from anybody just to you know affect your own survival, you know, or if you'd be altruistic. I mean, I'd like to think that if I was infected, I would, you know, separate myself from the group and maybe go out and. You know, put a bullet in my head and in my misery or, you know, or risk getting everybody else sick or, you know, just be a, a, a callous, selfish dickhead basically is what he is, you know? Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. He was a dick throughout that movie. And, you know, you always pick that one character that you, you kind of hate, and uh, he was the one I hated. Um but that's really, uh, you know, if you put yourself in their shoes, if you, you know, try to imagine, you know, what if there is an outbreak like this, you know, what would you do? And you just got to keep telling yourself, you know, you can't lose your values. I mean, I would, if I was infected, I wouldn't want to infect anybody else. Um, but at the same time, those that are, are, are infected and you know there's no hope for them, you know, how do you treat them? I mean... I couldn't just go out and be a cold-blooded killer just because I know they're going to, you know, die anyways. That's just, I don't know, that really digs at your soul. Mm-hmm. I'd say if you had to shoot anybody, a real situation like that, shoot the prick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that I agree just, with. I just <laughs> hope that the virus doesn't, doesn't change into, you know, bringing the dead back because then you got to shoot them again. Yeah, yeah, double tap. That's right. <laughs> uh, I, I, that one. I get ticked off at, at Piper in that movie because, you know, she was that gorgeous girl that's with this nice-looking guy. He treats her like crap, but yet she sticks with him because he's like the cool dude. I'm like going, why? <laughs> hey, give us nice guys a chance, you know? <laughs> oh, Hardy, I feel your pain. <laughs> uh, my <laughs> uh, girlfriend just hit me, so. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple of them out there that appreciate the nice guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I suppose it's my turn, isn't it? Yeah, it is, sir. Oh, man, best for last. Well, I mean, after, after you guys have been talking, I, I mean, your movies are kind of morbid. Listening to all your discussions of them, mine feels a little bit more lighthearted, but 
mine's kind of morbid too, I suppose. Um, the one, first one I'm going to do is Man in the Wilderness. It is from 1971, and it actually has Richard Harris when he's young-ish. <laughs> uh, I, I guess Richard Harris was born in 1930, so, you know, he was already an old fart by the time this movie came around, but um, he, he kind of looks like he did five or six years ago. Well, before he died, only his hair was red. Um, <laughs> yeah, hair. anyway... Yeah, he had hair. He was he was he was working his uh beard too already. <laughs> Anyways, though, basically what this movie was about, uh, Richard Harris, his character is named Zachary Bass and he's a, a woodsman, a scout, and he's with a fur trading group. Um led by this captain, basically the the plot line is that this captain got this group of men to go get furs, and they're carting this freaking boat across the wilderness with the idea of catching, uh, I think it was the Missouri River or something. Um, and what they would do is, you know, after they loaded up all their furs, they'd just roll it back to the water and sail it out and go sell all their furs. Well, Zachary Bass was one of those men, and while they were going through the woods, um, Zach, well, he wasn't necessarily a buddy, but this other guy he was with gut shot a deer, and Bass went to go find it. And he ended up stumbling on a bear, which more or less mauled the hell out of him. Um, the other men, they came and killed the bear. They patched up Bass the best they could, but they all kind of decided that he wasn't going to make it. So with the captain of this little crew decided was that they were going to leave him, and when he died, they would bury him, and he left two men to do that and then rejoin later. So all the guys kept on going, and Bass laid there, stitched up, bleeding out on the sand. They dug a shallow grave next to him, and uh, they waited. And I think it was a couple nights he laid there, and the old cotter just wouldn't die. And what was happening is that there was a band of Indians that were following this boat. And the two men were getting spooked by these Indians because they were getting closer. So they ended up leaving him for dead. Um, one of them left a Bible on his chest and they kind of said sorry and off they went. Um, before before the crew, I'll backtrack a little bit, before the crew left, there was an Indian that was there and he left. It was some kind of a necklace, wrapped it around Bass's head. Um, so Bass is laying there. He's all bloodied up and everything like that. Um, he he was conscious enough to see that Indians were coming, and he rolled himself into his hole, basically. And that's where they found him. He was laying there. When they found that Indian necklace there, um, the Indians more or less, it looked almost like they said a prayer for him, and just left him. Um, so there he laid for another day or so. And he's he's extremely weak. He's barely conscious. Um, I think in this part it started to, um, he started to have flashbacks into his history. Um, and the first couple nights I think he ended up burying himself halfway in the sand, trying to stay warm and get out of the wind. And then finally one day he, 
he was awake enough that he decided he was going to try to get out. So he crawled out of this hole and rolled himself down to the river and began to drink water. And um, he just doing that was too much, and he collapsed. So, you know, after he rested up, he was able to wake up and try it again. And he was floating himself through the water, um, eating whatever he could and drinking the water, trying to regain some strength. Um, it finally got to the point that he could crawl around enough that um, I don't remember if he came up on the bear that was killed or if he came up on another animal. Um, but wolves were eating at it, and he just used a stick to swat the wolves away long enough for him to get a piece of meat. Um, and slowly what, he's, what he does is he he scraps whatever he can find to try to um, regain enough strength that he can um, move again because the whole time you could tell that he wanted to go kill the captain for leaving him for death. Um, it, you, could, you could just tell that that was his motive the entire time. Um, and the captain knew it, too. He was, throughout the movie, the captain was haunted by the ghost of Bass, thinking that he was coming to get him, because Bass was the only man that the captain ever respected and feared. Um, the flashbacks showed that, as a child, Bass was an orphan, and he went to a religious school where the school teacher basically beat him because he wouldn't read scripture. So he he grew up basically hating Everyone. I mean, he was alone. The the church, who which would have been salvation for most people, um, it just made him even more against all of it. So there he is, you know, trying to heal up full of hatred and rage, um, and he he begins to regain more and more of his strength. He's able to. Um, I remember he was able to do a couple of rabbits, or at least one rabbit with a snare. Um, he did end up snaring a cougar and used that to turn the hide into a jacket for himself. Um, and he went on and on doing more and more things like this. And the whole time he's also trying to hide from these Indians that are tracking this boat because he knows if they find him, they're going to kill him. And that would be an awful short ending to a movie. So he ends up finding a spear point. He makes a spear that he uses as a walking stick too. And as he goes on and on, his his health regains more so. And the first time he tried to light a fire, it was after he found the spear point. Um, he He's sitting there, and he's got dried leaves and pine boughs and things like that. And he's sitting there, and he's, um, I think he had a knife or something. He was smack, uh, smacking the, the side of the spear to make sparks. And it wasn't working, and it wasn't working. And then finally he remembered the Bible that the one man had left on him. He kept it in his pocket. He tore out a couple pages, and he was able to use that to make a fire. So that was kind of the beginning of a transformation for him a little bit. Um, as he went throughout this and he regained his strength, he was able to find a little uh, rock cave, basically, where he, he did all of his work. And as he was sitting there next to the fire, that was all he had for amusement, so he started to read the Bible. Um, and this isn't going to be some hallelujah thing. It's just this is what he did. Um, and as he tracked this boat down, eventually it got to the point that the Indians were getting closer and closer to the ship as well. And when Bass finally found them, the Indians had already killed off most of the men, and they were getting ready to kill the captain as well. Um, 
they started to fight with but this one Indian chief recognized him from the shallow grave and he let him continue onto the boat. And the captain is standing there and he the, the look on the captain's face is basically that this man is going to kill me. Um, the look on Bass's face looked like he was going to kill him too. Um, and he stood there and you could, throughout the movie, he was beginning to cope with his childhood issues and things like that. And when he's standing there looking at the captain, he's pondering, you could tell he's pondering whether or not just skewer the guy with his spear or not. Um, he ends up just getting his rifle back because they took it from him. And uh, he says he's going home. Um, he, he he wanted to go see his son, which you saw in a flashback. Um, and that was basically the end of the movie. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of him swinging from trees or doing anything wild like that. Um, the one thing that I did appreciate it was actual real survival ideas. Um, they actually had some legitimate ones, which is cool for a movie. Um, the snares that they were using actually looked legitimate. Um, he did do a fishing trap where you'd, like, stick um, branches in the water to make a little fence. And uh, I've, I've heard of it before where you can make, like, a, a funnel upstream. The fish swim through this little funnel, and then they hit this fence, and then they're stuck between the two. Um, he did it even simpler, which is something I never thought about, is you just make a wall and then walk downstream smacking a stick and the fish run away from them. So they end up hitting that little fence, and there you go. He got himself a meal. Um, one, when he was making the fire with the, the paper, I, I couldn't help but laugh a little bit, though, because he's sitting there, and I, I know when you use a, a, a striker, you're supposed to try to get you know one really good shower of sparks. Well, he's sitting there, it's like a flint and steel, and he's smacking this thing. And he's just going nuts on it, just smack, 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 smack. And you can see these couple little sparks. And I think that they were probably helping him a little bit to make the fire, because the more sparks he added, the more the smoke came, and eventually it lit up into a fire. Um, however, it was probably one of the more accurate attempts at making a fire I've seen. Too bad they had to do it in 1971, and they can't do it nowadays. Um, otherwise, though, there wasn't a whole lot of other things in it, but it was cool to see a movie where everything is left for dead. I mean, that's how the movie started. He was left for dead, and just through the sheer will to survive, for whatever his reasons, he was able to make it out of there. Um, and it's this movie is based loosely um, on an actual guy. I'm trying to remember. It is based loosely on the life of Hugh Glass. And he, that guy was mauled by a grizzly bear, I believe. And he was left for dead as well. So somebody at one time did something similar to this, which is cool because it makes you think if they can do it, what's in each of us to be able to do something similar? Um, as for the campfires... I would probably give it a four. It wasn't super exciting. There weren't much for explosions or anything like that, but it was still a good, solid movie, and I enjoyed watching it. Um, I would, I'd actually, I'd gladly go watch it again. So there's that one.
I'm interested in seeing it. I have not seen it before, and uh, it sounds like something I'd enjoy. Yeah, it, it's um, it's almost almost got a spaghetti western feel to it. Yeah, I am. I have well, never I, heard of it. You mentioned it. That sounds really good. Definitely going to see this. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I, I think after I watched that one, I told you it was all right. Now, um, oh shoot, let's see. Was he in um, Man Called Horse? Uh, he might. I can search it for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm I looking it up. I think I saw that one. Uh, yes, A Man Called Horse with Richard Harris. Yep. <clears throat> um. It sounds very similar to A Man Called Horse, and um, I actually, well, uh, I've got the uh, the VHS, so that's how long <laughs> that's how long it's been since I've seen A Man Called Horse. But uh, yeah, it's uh, if it's anything like A Man Called Horse, then uh, I'm definitely interested in it because uh, that was. That itself was a good movie, and it, it sounds very similar. I mean, you know, it's it's more the the real. Uh, yep, John Morgan. He played John Morgan in A Man Called Horse. Um, it's very. Uh, oh shoot! What am I trying to say? I don't even know. Um, not not so over the top, I guess. You know where it's. Uh, it's extremely realistic, and um, you get you get the uh, life lessons without having to go through it yourself. Agreed. Oh. Agreed. Uh, um, Man in the Wilderness is, is definitely like that. Yeah. Cool. Sounds good. Sounds good, guys. That was a good round. You guys got yeah. time for one more round? Maybe we can speed it up a little bit and. Uh, uh, we'll call it a call it a show. So, Hardy, you have a another another movie for us, right? I yeah, I do. I just watched this one a couple nights ago, and uh, again, I got this one from Redbox, and it's called uh, Tomorrow When the War Began, and it's uh, it came out in 2010. It's an Australian film, so I didn't recognize any of the you know any of the actors. Um, but I guess if you were in Australia, Australia, you'd probably recognize them. Uh, basically, to make a long story short, if you've seen Red Dawn, you've seen this movie. Uh, it's basically it's an Australian remake of Red Dawn, and um, uh, basically what happens uh, is a group of teenagers. Uh, they decide that I think you know the summer break has started. And they decide that they're going to, you know, get a bunch of friends together and they're going to go out, you know, for the weekend and, and go camping and have fun. Uh, they go to this, you know, really actually beautiful place uh, called Hell, of all things, H-E-L-L. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a jungle oasis. And they go swimming, just have a good time, you know, just do what teenagers do. 
And it's definitely a teen movie, by the way. Uh, it's kind of geared to that younger audience. And, you know, they're out of contact with the rest of the world for a little while. Uh, well, they come back home and, you know, parents are gone and, and you know, one of the characters uh, notices that their dog is dead and, you know, parents are gone and nobody's around. They go from basically one kid's house to the next kid's house and everybody's gone. Can't quite figure out what's going on. And so they go into town and kind of the center of town, they have uh, there's a lot of activity. And they sneak up close and they realize that there has been basically a takeover, um, some sort of invasion. And, you know, all the townspeople are, are basically pinned up like in a concentration camp. And, you know, they don't know what's going on, what has happened. Um, and it's made evident there that uh, these invaders – uh, they're Asian of some sort, uh, possibly Chinese, but you know, they're wearing helmets that look kind of like a Darth Vader samurai helmet. <laughs> and so they might have been Japanese, it's hard to say, um, but they're Asiatic of some sort. Uh, so, you know, the Russians weren't in the picture as far as that goes. And so these kids realize that, hey, we're on our own and you know, we've got to figure out what to do. And they, they they start, you know, trying to come up with ways to, you know, basically evade capture because, you know, they're chased, they're shot at. Um, and a lot of it is just basically them trying to, you know, stay clear of, you know, the, the invaders, uh, the other soldiers. Um uh, Finally, in the end, they decide to take out this bridge uh, because that seems to be the main supply line. Uh, so they, they hatch a plan to blow up this bridge. And in the very end, um, they uh, are basically freedom fighters, you know, trying to fight against these invaders. So it took a long time to build up because that's when I was like, okay, now this gets interesting. I really want to watch it now. Uh, but it took too long to kind of build up to that point. Whereas in Red Dawn, uh, you know, they kind of launch into that freedom fighter mode right away. You see a lot of action. Um, this movie focused too much on the relationship side of things. You know, who likes who, who's getting on with who, you know, things like this. You know, things that teenagers would be concerned about. So it was entertaining in that sense, I think, if you're – younger and you'd never seen Red Dawn, you'd be entertained with by this, but I kept going back and thinking about what they do in Red Dawn compared to what they did in this movie, and I was I kept wanting to watch Red Dawn again. Um, and then also, you know, this is the modern times, this is right now, and the invading force, they didn't have the brains to hunt down these kids the way they would now. I'm thinking, where are the Predator drones? You know, where's the heat-seeking uh, or the, the infrared camera work? Uh, you know, be able to figure out where these kids are. Uh, uh, in, in one scene, 
these kids are hiding out in the house, and a helicopter comes and starts basically shining the flat, you know, the big spotlight on the on the house, trying to figure out if they're in there, and they're trying to keep from being seen. And the helicopter sees them, and then marks the house, to, you know, with flares to basically call in a missile strike on that house. Well, the kids, you know, run out of this house and they run into the barn, which is basically right next to the house. And the missile blows up the house but doesn't touch the barn. And I'm thinking, okay, any, you know, any uh, military force worth their salt is not just going to blow up the house. They're going to blow up that whole freaking area. And so I just thought, eh, make it a little more realistic. But I guess if it would have been realistic, the kids would have died in the first two minutes of the show, and it would have been over, which then makes for a good movie. So I guess I would give this about a three, two and a half to three. Um, there was some action. You know, if you hadn't seen Red Dawn, if you're younger, uh, it might be fun to watch. But I just kept thinking these kids are too stupid to, you know, survive for that long because they were focusing more on their relationships and not paying attention to what was going on around them and just, you know, doing idiotic things that, uh, you know, they, they should have been killed off pretty quickly. But, you know, they weren't because they wouldn't make for a good movie. But I think in the end, uh, some hard lessons were learned and, uh, you know, the, the, the kids that survived uh, became more effective freedom fighters. They were hardened for that process and, you know, given a will, given a purpose and, you know, uh, so I mean I, I liked it in the sense that it was entertaining um, you know it did a draw a whole lot from it as far as lessons go yeah I don't know I'm not sure if I did uh, have you any of you heard of this movie before or ever watched it yeah I just watched it uh, just a, no, last weekend weekend before last two weekends ago and uh I liked it. Uh, me and my wife watched it. Um, I agree. It was more of a, a younger-based uh, movie. Um, but I guess, to me, I liked their bug-out location the best. Um, you know, when they when they made it to hell, and then, uh, you know, that's one of the things, when they went back to hell, um, after they found what was going on, that's when they decided to, you know, become freedom fighters. Um but you're absolutely right with, you know, they didn't have uh, the talent to do a takeover like they portrayed in the in the movie. Um, no one, none of them were very, you know, familiar with a weapon. Um, and you could definitely tell that it was, you know, it tried to be a Red Dawn, but it kind of missed the mark um, because they built the story up too much with the character development. But it was a good movie to watch, and I think, you know, it's definitely something, you know, if you miss Red Dawn or you can't wait for the uh, re-release of Red Dawn, which is promised to be out in November of this year, um, then uh, it's definitely something to watch. Um, as soon as the movie was over, I caught myself yelling out Wolverine, and my wife kind of looked at me like, what's the matter with you? But she didn't quite understand. Now, you said it's an Australian film, right? Yeah. Um, did they yell out at any time Tasmanian Devils? 
<laughs> no, they didn't. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I think they yelled at uh, koalas or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I <like> koalas. <laughs> oh, well, you know, they could have, they could have done the film here in Michigan. We have a Hal Michigan downstate. <laughs> yeah, you guys do, don't you? Yeah, we do have a hell, and it sure gets cold in the wintertime, too. Yeah, <laughs> hell freezes over. <laughs> oh, yeah, because, uh, oh, shoot, don't a lot of people go up and get their uh, Christmas cards sent from the hell post office? Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I thought that was a uh, uh, story on the news a couple years ago of everybody uh, – Everybody taking their Christmas cards up so it gets stamped, you know, from Hell, Michigan. So, well, but, to be uh, honest, I, I try to stay away from Hell if I can. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot. With that movie though, I I would say it's the best to watch it on a you know rainy Saturday afternoon when there's nothing else on TV. <laughs> because that's when I watched it, and then uh, it seemed to, you know, fit the entertainment I was looking for for that time. I was looking for some, uh, in the movie, some survival, you know, tips as far as, you know, bushcrafting, but he's completely skirted around that. I mean, you didn't see these kids gathering food. You didn't see them even really lighting their fire. I mean, they're playing around in the water. Uh, they're looking for firewood, things like that, but they're really not, you know, doing anything to actually survive. So, I mean, their 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 bug out location hell was beautiful. It was very, you know, rugged and, and wild. But and, and they had they had tents. They had their you know the camping gear, but it didn't really show how they packed it in or how they maintained it or you know anything like that. So I I can't see that that would be a real sustainable bug out location because. I, I didn't even t- explain how they were getting their food or anything. Did you see anything there, Corey, that I missed? Um, no, it never showed them really with too much food, um, besides the snakes that were in the, the guy's sleeping bag, but I don't think they ever ate them. Um, but that was really about the only wildlife, you know, that they showed in that area. They had, they probably had plenty of Vegemite and uh, canned meat, so they were good to go. Canned meat. <laughs> canned meat. Well, I hope they read your forum. Has anybody ever tried Vegemite? I mean, that's a survival story in itself, trying to survive a taste of that. Ugh, I, <laughs> I've heard about the taste, but I don't know if I ever want to try it. <laughs> it's a, the person, uh, we had a uh, Australian foreign exchange student that stayed with us, and her family shipped her some. And she's like, you got to try this. It's it's like peanut butter. <laughs> hmm. This is not like peanut butter. <laughs> like peanut butter is <laughs> years old and has been sitting oh. in that's It's nasty. <laughs> it's got to have a shelf life of a thousand years, though. <laughs> yeah, you still let it go. Uh, yes. yeah, the, only, the only two things left after a disaster are going to be spam and Vegemite. So. <laughs> Yum. Yeah. And cockroaches. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh shoot! Well, my next movie um, is uh, *Contagion*. It was released in uh, 2011. Um, it starred uh, Matt Damon and uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, 
Gwyneth Paltrow returns from a uh, business trip uh, to Hong Kong, and um, where she has, you know, she thinks she got the flu. Um, she returned home. Uh, she did have a layover in Chicago, which uh, comes into play later in the, in the movie. Um, but she has, has a layover in Chicago, and then she returns home from her business trip in Hong Kong. Um, later on that day, Matt Damon picks up their uh, young son from school, who also had to have a, had a cold and was sick from school, so they sent him home. Um, the uh, Gwyneth Cow- or Paltrow's um, character is Beth. Um, Beth ends up having a seizure right at the table, and uh, the the son is watching. And Matt Damon, um, who is Mitch, uh, directs the the son to call nine one one. Uh, when she gets to the hospital, the uh, doctors are looking at her and they, they can't figure anything out, and and she dies um, within you know just a, a day or so from returning from Hong Kong, um, and then with you know the news of his you know his wife Mitch is devastated at the hospital and he receives a call that his son's not doing well. Um, when he gets to where his son is, his son had died too. Um, so they both died the same day, um, with just a few hours from, you know, Beth returning from home from Hong Kong. Um, from that point, uh, there's kind of flashes throughout the world of, um, different people that are sick, getting on buses, you know, leaving restaurants, um, doing their daily activity. And, then it kind of explodes after that. Um, you have the doctors that were doing an autopsy on Beth's character, and when they you know, open up and are looking at her brain, um, one of the doctors asked, you know, if they want to do a you know, biopsy, and the doctor said, no, everyone step back. And at that point, you know, something seriously has happened. Um, from there, the... Uh, U.S. Center for Disease Control is, you know, put on high alert. Um, they're trying to figure out, you know, what this virus is. Uh, the World Health Organization um, comes into play. They start sending out investigations, and this this whole virus just goes global within days, and it just starts killing people um, pretty rapidly. And it's hard to follow um, because it's – Going, you have an investigator from the World Health Organization going to Hong Kong. You have, um, you know, Mitch and Beth, which I can't remember where they're at. I want to say that they're in like L.A. or somewhere like that. Um, you have the story of them. You have the story of the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, um, and you have their investigator that uh, with Kate Winslet that they sent to Chicago. Um, the layover that. Beth had in Chicago, she met up with an old fling uh, and met him there and, and did what they did, and he got uh, got the virus. Um, so now it's in multiple cities in the United States and all across the globe, um, and they're trying to find out what this virus is. Once they find out kind of what they call the virus, um, Homeland Security becomes involved because they don't know if it was a terrorist act, and... Um, they really don't know how to control it. They think they have a virus, um, or they think they have a uh, vaccine for it, um, because for some reason 
Mitch never got the virus. Um, he was put into uh, solid or uh, what's the word? Quarantine. Yeah, quarantine. Thanks, man. Uh, mm-hmm. He was put in quarantine for several days, and uh, he never got the virus. So they took a vial of blood from him and, and tried to make a vaccination from um, from him. And uh, over doing all their investigations, they were able to to get the uh, vaccination. But it was months later, and by this time, society had started to collapse. Um, there was rioting in the streets. There was, you know, looting in people's homes. And you're following all these different stories at the same time. It goes like six, nine months later um, that they're still trying to get this vaccination. And they get it, but in the United States, there's like a lottery. Um, you know, your last name has to, you know, start with this, and then you have to have your social security number, you know, between this and this in order to, to be, you know, get a vaccination. So it's kind of neat to watch to see if a virus outbreak would hit, what all the different channels are um, throughout, you know, the CDC, the World Health Organization, and what they do and what they're actually in charge of doing. But it's hard to follow because it jumps from, you know, all these sub-stories inside, you know, the main story that's just constantly building and building and building. So it's it's really interesting to see how, you know, Mitch and, you know, his family is doing it and, and living with it and then how someone in Hong Kong is dealing with it because the lady from the World Health Organization that goes to Hong Kong to try and find the, the where it started, the where it originated from, um, she ends up getting uh, held hostage for a small town, a small village that they believe that it came from um, by the village people. <laughs> that didn't come out right. <laughs> but by the people <laughs> of the village um, <laughs> to get to make sure that village gets the vaccination first. And it's a big conspiracy, you know, how they're going to get the vaccination in order to free this lady or if they're not even going to give up the vaccination and let the lady, you know, go ahead and and get the virus and die. Well, that sounds like a good one. Campfires, I give it a a four campfires. Um, It's really neat, you know, like I said, to see how it all intertwines and how they gather all their information and the actual collapse of the society because of a virus. I thought it was <clears throat> a really good movie. I enjoyed watching it. Uh, it. It was a little hard to kind of keep track of what was going on where uh, it was whom. Uh, but I thought it was a pretty realistic portrayal of, of you know, what, how would the world deal with a, a pandemic? Because I, I think we're right for it. Something's going to happen before long. But, um, how would people react? How would the media react? Uh, how would the governments try to manage this? I also like the distrust of going on with uh, Jude Law's character. Uh, you know, he's basically said, uh, "I forget the name of the flower that you're supposed to, you're supposed to take in order to fight this." And people were kind of falling into his camp, saying, "You know, the don't trust the." vaccine because it's just the drug companies trying to make money and the government to control us. 
or was you know he a load of bunk as in you know his his home remedy wasn't going to work if he's just a you know um oh, I, I guess a fear monger as far as that goes getting people to distrust the government uh, yeah it would be a, a big a time of big massive confusion and distrust and you know uh, how do you handle a situation like this? It's hard to look at it and go, "What would I do? What, you know, who would I trust? What would I want to do? You know, to take care of myself and my family, and you know, provide for ourselves." Yeah, I had forgot about uh, Jude Law's character, and that really does play, you know, a big part of uh, you know the the distrust within the the government and how they're handing out their vaccinations and all that. It sounds like it amplifies a lot of what has happened here in the past couple of years with the uh you know the swine flu and uh, uh with the uh avian flu uh scare and all that and you know every year you know some new you know flu strain you know pops up and of course it's going to because it's constantly mutating but, you know, the new, well, you know, we've got a flu shot for this and we've got a flu shot for that. And, you know, half the population says, you know, well, I'm not getting a flu shot. And that's just a way for them to make money. And, you know, it, it seems like it amplifies what already is going on in society when it comes to pandemics, as small or as large scale as what they, you know, are and have been. Um it seems it seems like a really good movie. It is. It's great. Um, here's a here's a little uh trivia for you. Are any of you guys old enough to remember the swine flu scare of nineteen seventy six? No. No. Already? I was born in nineteen ninety. Oh. <laughs> you old enough to be on this project? <laughs> okay, well back in the- 76, I think it was, uh, there were some soldiers at Fort Dix, New Jersey, that came down with the swine flu. And, uh, you know, it caused a, a scare because the swine flu, you know, killed a bunch of people uh, was in, in the early 1900s. And all of a sudden it popped back up again. And then in our little town in Missouri, one man came down sick with flu-like symptoms, and they went and did a you know, throat culture, and it came back positive for swine flu. And that man was my dad, who is still living. He didn't die from it, uh, but he came up positive for the swine flu. Now, I still wonder to this day, was, you know, did he actually have it? Did lab results get goofed up or something like that? Um, but they wondered, you know, how could – this one man in, in a tiny little town in Missouri come down with swine flu when the only of the known cases were in uh, Fort Dix, New Jersey. And it really caused a big scare. I mean, we had reporters that came to our, our little town. Um, you know, I was on the news. They flew my parents to, uh, you know, to New York to be on the Good Morning America show. They, they you know, interviewed with, uh, you know, some famous doctors. <laughs> it was I was about uh, five years old when all this was happening. 
And I remember just thinking this is just wild, but it scared a lot of people. There were people that actually, you know, left my small town, almost said the name of the town, but they almost left the town, uh, you know, for several weeks, you know, moving somewhere else to be with relatives in case this thing actually started to spread. Uh, you know, people would uh, avoid the gas stations because we were right on the interstate. Uh, it, it was, I look back on it now, it was a very interesting time because it really scared a lot of people. There was also, the government came out with a uh, vaccine, um, you know, after these soldiers in um, Fort Dix, you know, came down with swine flu. I think a couple of them died from it. But they started giving this vaccine to several people, and it caused uh, well, it caused severe uh, neurological problems. I mean, there were people that were paralyzed from this vaccine, which is really scary. You know, they give the vaccine that's uh, you know hasn't been tested properly all of a sudden, and, and that can actually cause more harm than good. So that's a little little history about myself in relation to a. Uh, a contagion. There you go. Well, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, one part of the movie that um, I forgot, uh, Lawrence Fishburne was, you know, doing an interview, and uh, they were asking if it was, you know, some way that they could have, terrorists could have weaponized, you know, the avian flu, and uh, he made the statement, you know, they don't have to, the birds are already doing it. And that, when he said that, you know, it kind of some chills up your spine. Um, but, the, you know, talking to, you know, the Hardy and, you know, actually kind of living through a a, a scare like that, that's, that's pretty neat. That's not something you, you hear every day. Did you happen to watch the uh, extra features on that movie uh, on the DVD? No, I, I didn't watch the extra features. Okay, there's. There's a scene there, I think it was deleted out of the movie, but basically it takes place over in Asia. There's a bat flying around, a fruit bat, and he, you know, gets a banana and he starts eating this banana and he, you know, drops the banana, which lands among a bunch of pigs. And this pig goes over and eats this piece of banana. Well, then you see them basically taking these pigs through and and harvesting them. Um, And the, the pig is sold to you know, this Chinese guy, and, uh, you know, then he takes it in, and you know, he's in a restaurant, and he's starting to carve it up, you know, he's got blood on his hands. Uh, well, then he's called away, you know, it's all in Chinese, you can't understand what they're saying. He's called away, he kind of wipes his hands on his, on his apron, you know, and he goes out and he meets uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, because she had eaten something that he had prepared, he's a chef, and she wanted to thank the chef, which is, I guess, is customary to do. And so he shakes her hand, you know, with this hand that was formerly covered in blood that he's basically wiped off on his napkin. That's how it started. Because I don't know if you remember, but they said the right bat met the right pig, and this is how it started. Huh. Well, that kind of really brings the movie together. It, it does. I mean, that's how it started, you know, just this, you know, bat cross-contaminated, had some sort of flu, cross-contaminated with this pig that had some sort of flu, and, you know, that's what triggered it. That's really cool. Makes it go, hmm. 
Yeah, it does. Huh. I have to watch. I think I saw that at one time or another, but I have to watch that one again. Yeah, I've still yet to see that one. So, based on what you guys have been talking about, it sounds good. Yeah, it's definitely one you want to add to the list. Yeah, because I'm I'm a big fan of, you know, Outbreak and, uh, you know, all the others. You know, if if it's got, you know, some sort of pandemic, you know, that's, that's, I think, one of the scariest situations anyway, because how can you really fight a sickness? You can't. You know, you, you can't, can't run from it. You can't do anything. And, uh, yeah, well, cool. All right, I'm going to go ahead and switch gears, and uh, we're going to change it up a little bit. And uh, we're going to – I'm going to go ahead and review the greatest survival movie ever, uh, Wilderness Survival, uh, one of, I guess. What's that? Is Chuck Norris in it? Uh, no, but close. Close. <laughs> well, it kept you uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sir Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin. Oh, I love this. Yes. And The Edge. And yes. what it's about is uh, Anthony Hopkins is a billionaire, Charles Morse. And uh, his hot young wife, uh, who is uh, Elle McPherson, I think it is. Uh, she's a model, of course. Good figure. Um, and uh, <laughs> and Alec Baldwin is her photographer. And they end up dragging um, Anthony Hopkins along with them on a photo shoot. And it just so happens that it's up in Alaska. So... They fly into Alaska and uh they're set up at this at this real rustic lodge and um they're going through and you know getting everything set up for the photo shoot and all and um it's it's uh uh Charles birthday and um which is Anthony Hopkins um it's his birthday so everybody has a surprise party for him scares the hell out of him um uh with a was it a bearskin rug Alec Baldwin had on? And um, because the whole time, you know, the the lodge owner is is preaching to him about, you know, being, you know, safe around the bears and this is bear country and you really have to be on guard and, uh, you know, never leave meat out and this, that, and the other. And and, uh, so they they set him up to scare him and um, about give him a heart attack. And they have a nice little birthday party for him, and uh, they end up giving him, let's see, he ends up getting a pocket knife um, and a uh, a watch, and uh, he ends up getting a uh, a book. Um, and the book is fictitious. Corey and I, <laughs> we've looked for this book, and you know, sure enough, good old Google says that, yeah, it's just a movie prop, but if somebody would take that and run with it and actually, you know, create a book, it would be a bestseller. So, hint, hint, maybe, uh, maybe, you know, some of us, uh, guys at Survival Tech, um, maybe some of our members each take a chapter and we rewrite the book. That would be, a that would be something great. Um, but it's called, uh, Lost in the Wilds, I believe, is, uh, the title of the book. And, uh, 
So they're looking around and they're doing the photo shoot and nothing is really working um, with the photo shoot. I guess I don't know. I don't have the eye for it. It looked fine to me, but they were they were missing something and uh, they ended up looking up on the lodge wall and they're like, "Who is this man?" And it's uh, uh, the lodge owner's friend. And, um, you know, they were wondering, you know, how long ago, you know, this picture was taken because it's just a, it's a black and white and it's, it's of this, uh, you know, Native American. And um, he's, uh, you know, he's like, oh, you know, that's just, you know, Joe or whatever his name is. You know, he's he's out bear hunting right now. His, his cabin's, you know, on the other side of the lake or whatever. So they end up taking a bush plane to go find this guy because they need him for the photo shoot. They end up dragging Anthony Hopkins along. Well, what ends up happening is plane ends up going down, um, and they have rerouted their path um, to try and find this guy because he is not at his cabin. He's actually out bear hunting. And uh, so the plane goes down. Um, the pilot's dead, and all that's left is Alec Baldwin, and Anthony Hopkins, and um, this guy that it's, I think it's Alec Baldwin's assistant. So they're being tracked by this bear. Yes, yeah. So they're they're being tracked by this, this huge Kodiak bear, and I believe it's Bart the bear. Yeah, um, Bart the bear. Yep, he's... <laughs> He plays in a lot of movies. I think he was the one in uh, The Great Outdoors. Um, like he was the uh, bald-headed, bald-ass bear there that you know John Candy takes care of at the end. But um, uh, so you know Bart's famous bear. He's tracking him, and this bear is absolutely huge. He's he's a he's a man eater, and um, you know uh, black guy ends up getting. Um, uh, injured, uh, what was it, a broken leg. So that adds um, a lot of pressure on Alec Baldwin and Anthony Hopkins. And Anthony Hopkins is one of these guys that never goes out and does anything, but he reads constantly. So everything he reads, he retains, but he never really you know, goes out and utilizes the skills that he learns. And now he's pushed to the limit to where he has to um, take what he's read in his survival book that he got for his birthday and actually do it in real life. And that's a big challenge for him. Um, Alec Baldwin is Alec Baldwin and very conniving, and part of the reason why he wants, why he wanted Anthony Hopkins to come out with him is he was trying to, trying to think of a way to go ahead and kill him because he's been having an affair with um, Anthony Hopkins' wife. So um, the whole time it's, it's man against nature, it's man against injury, and it's man against bear, and it's man against man. And you throw all these elements in, and 
it goes to where you know they're they're fighting against the bear. Um, you know they they finally kill the bear. They use the bear for resources. Um, before they kill the bear, you know they're they're getting to the point where they have no food. Um, they're trying to uh, snare squirrels, and they're just not having any luck because it's not like what you see on you know Dave and Cody or Man vs. Wild or anything. You know, you, if you don't have food and you cannot catch it, you go hungry. And it's a big reality check. And um, so the whole time, you know, they're they're they need each other to survive, but at the same time. Alec Baldwin wants to kill Anthony Hopkins, but he needs Anthony Hopkins to get him to a point to where he's, you know, out of the woods himself before he can do it. So he wants to kill him, but he needs him. So that poses a big issue. It's great action. I mean, there's, it's, the setting is beautiful. I mean, you know, Alaska alone is just, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, the last frontier. And, uh, you know, it. this film, it was uh, done back in 1997, and it holds up to today. I mean, it's it's really, really good. And, uh, you know, if if you haven't seen it, you know, shame on you, because you, you should have seen this one by now. And uh, I give this five out of five campfires. Awesome movie. Well, skewer the bastard. <laughs> Whatever he says, remember skewer. <laughs> We're going to make long poles and skewer him. Yeah. <laughs> and why is it always the black guy that gets eaten first? I never could understand that. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's the same thing with horror movies. It's the black guy, then it's the couple. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, my, my favorite part is, uh, you know, when they're, when they're chanting, what well, one man can do, another can. It's like, no, not necessarily, guys, but, man, whatever floats your boat, you know, right before they, right before they kill the bear, and it's like, yeah, that's, that's amazing. I mean, could you imagine, you know, I mean, we've, you know, the biggest predators around here um, for us are mainly uh, coyotes, and we've got, um, uh, down in southern Ohio, uh, we've got some, um, some yeah, feral pigs, they can get pretty nasty. But other than that, you know, I mean, you know, we've, I've had, uh, what was it, a, uh, about four or five years ago, Corey, um, about 20 miles uh, east of me, we had a couple of black bear sightings. But Yeah, they're getting yeah. more popular down in southern Ohio. Yeah, and uh, they're, they're starting to make a comeback, which is, which is good, but, you know, I'm not, that's not a, you know, thousand pound Kodiak. I mean, that's that's just amazing. You know, seeing the size of you know something like that, I couldn't imagine a predator, you know, like that stalking you. I mean, that's that definitely drops you down on the food chain a little bit. I think they really portrayed that very well. I mean, because you're you're watching this and you feel that absolute terror of you know watching this huge bear just come up on you and you know he's thinking I'm hungry I'm going to eat you that's it mm-hmm. you know and uh, I think as people we don't ever sense that ever and and that movie I, I had that sense of 
oh crap, I'm dead. This is it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, one thing it's it's great about the movie is, is as far as the survival aspects and you know making the fire and making the compass and you know you know trying to make you know fish hooks. Doesn't he use one of the hands um, as a fish hook? Watch, yeah. And he uses the uh, the chain as a lure. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's just you know he's just you know constantly he's like yeah well we you know we take the hand off the uh, we take a hand off the pocket watch and uh, you know we rub it on my silk shirt and then it magnetizes and I mean he, he's got it down I mean there's a lot of great survival aspects for you know wilderness survival and you know making do with what you have and and uh, I don't know it's just that, that's one of those movies that you know when it came out. I watched it and it's like holy shit! This is one of my favorite movies now. So, I mean, it was instant, instant favorite. I had the VHS tape, and I mean, I, I watched it until it uh, started getting lines in it. I couldn't watch it anymore. I need to go get that DVD. It was a very, yeah. very good. Thing. But you know, you think about it. Now we're in a time where we have YouTube, and I mean, every day I can sit and watch something on YouTube about survival. And I just kind of store that away in the back of my head. I mean, they didn't have YouTube back then. Right. Um, but it, it does make me wonder, if, if I found myself suddenly in a situation, would I be able to recall and remember uh, all that information? And here, Anthony Hopkins, was, he was able to recall just from, you know, thumbing through that book. I mean, he probably read more than what we saw, but, you know, it looked to me like he was just kind of thumbing through it, you know, taking mm-hmm. a half look at it, and then all of a sudden, He's in that situation. He has to recall that information if he wants to survive. Yeah, and that's that's just amazing. You know, learning about it and doing it is completely different. And I think that's why we need to, you know, as much as we can, um, you know, go out and practice these, these skill sets that that are being lost and are you know starting to make a comeback. Thank God. So. Yeah. No, great movie. Great movie. Well, Tim, what about you? What's uh what's your last one? It's the best for last. Well, well, the last one actually I want to comment on the the edge real quick. You guys were okay. talking about how uh, how it feels to um to ever come up on a bear like that. I think cuz I'm quite a bit further north than even you guys in Ohio. And um, mm-hmm. up here we actually have uh, wolves are starting to come back to northern lower Michigan. Um there are some cougar around here, very, very few. Um, there are coyotes and there are black bears. So when you're bombing around in the woods out here, you've actually got pretty good odds of coming across something that might try to lick you eventually. Um, and when we, I would go bird hunting with my dad, and we never saw one while we were running with our bird dogs. But usually you could tell, at least for a black bear, you could smell them when you came by them, um, at least around here, as soon as they hear the noise, like the beeper collars or us talking, they would run off. Um, we never came across any that had cubs, so they were usually long gone by the time we got there. But when you walk into it and you catch the smell of a bear, it's almost like garbage. I don't know if you guys have gone bear hunting before. Um, it is a smell that will stand every hair on the back of your neck up. And you'll flip the safety off on your shotgun just because you're there. Um, it's 
it's one of those eerie, eerie feelings that I think I've we've been out in the woods and done that twice where you've, you've come across where a black bear was, and it's it's a creepy, creepy feeling. Um, I mean, we'll we'll call the dogs in until the basically until the smell goes away. Um, we'll call the dogs in close because if something happens, we don't want to lose a bird dog to a black bear, but. And, right. uh, it, it, it's eerie. Yeah, the only thing is, um, like I said, you know, the the big one here in Ohio is, you know, the feral pigs. And, uh, you know, because if you think about, about what feral pigs do, you know, they don't really have a purpose other than to destroy. And, uh, you know, they, they mainly just, you know, breed, eat, and, and, and fight each other. And, uh, you know, a, a hog will go feral quick. And, um, um, you know, I've, I've come across, you know, places where, you know, feral hogs have been rooting around. And uh, that makes me nervous. You know, and, and I know I've got better chances, you know, coming across a black bear. You know, just like you said, you know, because, you know, most of the times they will retreat, you know, if if they don't have anything to, you know, fight for. And uh pigs, hey, they 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 creep me out. So you know, especially when <laughs> it, it, especially if you don't have a you know, large enough, you know, handgun on, on you and and uh you know, you're just carrying just a just a twenty two to, you know, pop a snake here and there or whatever with some you know, shot shell you see a hog, good luck, you know. <laughs> yeah, some people um, up here, I think the DNR finally banned wild hogs up here in Michigan. And um, because there was a couple instances where they were getting loose and they opened up um, open season on any hog you find in the woods. I think it's still open. It's been like that for a couple of years now. Um, somebody shot like a 600-pound hog. 20 or 30 miles south of where I live. So, yeah, that I yeah. would rather come across a black bear than a hog. But Yeah, I know hogs are uh, running um, down uh, south of Cory and I. There's uh, Wayne National Forest, and um, I know the hogs are starting to really make an impact down there. So in Ohio, we do have a, um, you know, it's, it's considered, you know, an invasive species, and you know they're they're calling for eradication, and uh, you know that's one thing that I would I would like to do possibly, uh, you know, this early fall, you know, before I start getting into uh, you know archery um, season for deer. Um, I'd like to take because uh, because see we can't we can't hunt deer with high powered rifle um, here in Ohio, but we can take. Um, coyotes and uh, you know groundhogs, of course, but uh, mainly the you know varmints and nuisance animals. We can pop with a uh, high-powered rifle. Um, so, with as tough as pigs are, and their skeletal structure, you know, definitely a high-powered rifle is the way to go. And uh, I wouldn't mind going down to Wayne and and uh, hitting some of the public hunting lands and and uh I've got some friends that I work with that live down uh around there and 
uh, they said, yeah, anytime you, you want to come down and, and, you know, shoot a hog, let me know. So I would really like to do that, you know, right before, you know, maybe towards the end of September, I'd like to go down and, and see if I couldn't get a hog. But, oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, I guess we'll go back to the last one. The last movie is Into the Wild. It was from 2007 with Emil Hirsch. Um, he's been in a handful of movies. Um, none of them that I can really remember offhand right now, though. Um, basically, what this was, is it is based on a uh, real situation. There was this I'll call him a kid. He was in his early 20s. Um, He's just a little bit older than I was. Um, And his name was Christopher McCandless. And he was a, he grew up with an affluent um, upper middle class family. He he graduated alma mater from his college. I mean, he was just this kid with all this potential. he was also idealistic and had a romantic view on the world. Um, he, I mean, he, he was influenced by, like, the guys like Henry David Thoreau, um, Tolstoy, Jack London, uh, these, these kind of, um, the authors where they'd gone out and they um, were trying to find enlightenment by going out and being uh, in solitude kind of stuff. Um and this stuff fascinated him. He he loved this idealistic version of life. So when he graduated from with his bachelor's, he had about twenty five thousand dollars. And what he did is he um, he was supposed to go off to get a master's or something like that. And instead, what he did is he took out a little bit of cash and he donated the rest of his life savings to charity. And he took his Datsun and he basically took off, left his parents and his sister without so much as a peep. Um, his sister knew that he was going to be doing something, but she, she didn't know exactly what. And um, starting, I think, about 1990, he spent a two-year trip. He drove, he was heading west until his car got washed away by a flash flood. Um, but then he hitchhiked, um, I think he hitchhiked to California, went down to Mexico, Um came back up, and the whole time he had this goal of going to Alaska to get into the wild and find enlightenment. So most of the movie is actually his journey on getting to Alaska. Um, I was watching it waiting for the end of the movie um, because I know we were looking for a survivalism uh, theme. We were trying to do something like that. I mean... The actual movie was still enjoying to watch. Um, there were little parts of him being in Alaska throughout the movie. Um, and, like, I think he spent some time in Colorado, and he was working for uh, uh, at a grain mill. And there was a guy there that was a hunter, and he was telling this, uh, he was telling McCandles how, uh, like, how to clean a big game animal um, when you're up in Alaska before the flies get to it. Um, this guy was telling him, you know, you could you quarter it, piece it out, and smoke it. And um, if you do it before the flies get, your meat will keep. Otherwise, your meat's spoiled. 
that's the kind of stuff he was picking up as he went up there. And basically, when he finally got to Alaska, um, he ended out on Stampede Trail. I don't quite remember what the... Um, um, I, I don't remember what... Uh, oh, the Denali National Park and Preserve. He ended up out there. He found this bus that was abandoned. It was used as like a hunting shack. And at the same time, he was his entire goal was to get lost, to, to find solitude and being able to, you know, just kind of dwell in his spot. And he spent quite a few months out there, but he only had 10 pounds of rice. He had a 22 rifle. Um, I think he had a pocket knife and a machete. In in real life, I think that they said he had a map, but he had no compass. Um, not like it really mattered anyways because he was trying to get away from people. Um, and basically what happened is he spent a couple months up there. Um, he showed up, I think it was late winter, early spring. He he came upon this bus and decided that he was going to use this as his um, camp. He set up shop and he was able for a while to get small game and um, he was using his rice rations. He did come across a moose and shot it. And it was as the weather was starting to warm up and he tried to smoke it, but it took him too long to do it and the uh, flies got to it. And the meat basically spoiled in front of his eyes as he was trying to preserve it. Um, him personally, he thought it was a huge, huge loss. He, he wished that he had never shot the moose because basically he killed it and wasted all of it. Um, and as as it went out, as it went further and further into spring, and this is where I I was waiting for this movie because I'd seen it before and I wanted to get refreshed on it. Um, he basically got to the point he was trying to figure out what happiness was, and he realized that happiness was best shared with others instead of being a solitude. So at about this time, he had run out of rice. Um, I think he was starting to run out of small game in the area to kill as well, so he decided to go back. And as he's walking, he came to the spot in the river where he um, crossed originally, and in the wintertime, where he crossed the river was maybe only 15, 20 feet. Well, now in the springtime with all that snow melted, the river was like 60 feet wide with raging rapids. Um, it almost washed him down the river. And he ended up retreating back to the bus. And this here is where it went from an adventure to being in a survival situation. He, while he was no food, um, that was the big part for him. In the movie, I'm, I'm going to go by what was in the movie more so than what the um, what the real story, what they said about it. Um, in the movie, he he was trying to find any small game he could after he got back to the the bus. Um, he couldn't find any, but he did have a um, edible plant guide. So in his desperation, he grabs his book and he runs out into the into the brush, basically. And he's looking at all of these different plants and he's thumbing through his book to figure out what they are. And he ends up with a, it looks like a Ziploc baggie full of plants. And that night he ate them 
the next morning he was pale. Um, his stomach was hurting. He was having cramps and stuff like that. And he knew something was wrong, so he went back and he thumbed through, um, he thumbed through this book. And basically, on one page it had a plant that was edible, and then the next page was a plant that looked almost identical that was inedible. Uh, it was actually poisonous. And he came to find out that the plant that he ate um, would cause starvation and paralysis. Um, and basically, at that point, he realized he had made a mistake, um, and he he began to starve. Basically, um, the real life account when they finally found him, he weighed sixty seven pounds. They think he he weighed sixty seven pounds. Um, there was a picture of him. It looked like he was a, a fairly strapping young man. Um, he was probably close to six foot tall, at least from what the picture showed. Um, so, I mean, to lose that much weight, that's, I mean, it's just he was skin and bone. Um, but he ended up leaving. Uh, he wrote a journal throughout his entire journey of his stories. And I think he spent like 100 or 110 days at this bus. Um, and it was two, about two weeks after they think he died, a couple of moose hunters were in the area, they stopped by and they found him. Um, in real life, one of the tragedies of um, Christopher McCandless' story is that because he didn't use a map and he didn't use a compass, he did not realize that a quarter mile away there was a um, handcart that would have taken him across the river. Um, so when I read up on this after I watched the movie, they were saying that um, there there was kind of two camps in this, and it happened a couple years because it happened right after he died. It happened again when they published a biography based on his journal, and then when they made this movie. Um, on one hand, people were championing him, you know, saying he was idealistic and romantic, and he sought out to, you know, rid himself of the, the oppression and materialism of the world. The other hand, most a lot of the people from Alaska had this mindset that he was a damn fool who went ill prepared and committed suicide, basically. Um, and the movie itself, it, it was it was almost, um, well, it was heart wrenching at the end to to kind of watch and realize that he he had made a mistake and that he was going to die um, because there was nothing he could do to help himself after he was poisoned. Um, and when I was watching this, the thing that I took about of it is when you go online and you watch TV and everything like that, you, you see and you hear all of these armchair survivalists that say, you know, oh, I could do this or I could do that. This, this guy basically had no training. And the, the props that I do give him is that he had none and he still had the balls to go out and try something like this. Um, but what I took out of it is that, you know, these situations, he, he thought of it as an adventure, but it is a very, very fine line between going from an adventure to a real survival situation. And when you're in a real survival situation, little mistakes can cost you your life. Um, 
apart from the movie, I think that they they determined his cause of death was simply starvation. They weren't able to find anything poisonous in the bus or whatever they thought he ate. They think he just ran out of food and wasted away. Um, which at the same time is still tragic. And that that was the one thing that kept reoccurring in my mind as I was trying to think about what I wanted this movie to portray is that even if we're discussing these kinds of issues um, or we think that we might have an idea of how to do these things um, or we would take a compass and more food than just rice or something like that or we would read up on how to actually prepare meat, little mistakes can be extremely, extremely costly. Um, and that that really hit home watching this movie. And I knew he made a lot of mistakes, you could tell. Um, I, I don't think that most people with a little bit of common sense going out into that kind of situation would go that ill-prepared. But at the same time, though, you could also say that you were prepared and you tried to cross the river and you lost your pack. And now you're just as screwed as he was. The only difference is he did it willingly. Um but as it was, the movie itself for campfires, I would give this a five. Um, it was entertaining to watch the story. Um, I, I'm sure most people can relate to the rebellious youth um, feeling that you know you're just you're you're coming into the world and you're realizing what it's like to be an adult, and all you want to do is just escape from it. You say, well, you know. It would be so awesome if I lived someplace that didn't have all these rules or I could do this or do that. I thought it was very, very easy to relate to that feeling in this character. Um, I've thought about it before. I'm sure you guys have thought about it one time or another in your lives as well, that it would be so great to just break away from society and do your own thing. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, because of that attachment, because I could relate to it, I think it made it, well, I, I definitely think it made it harder to basically watch this guy die because his adventure went wrong. Um, he did write leaving parting messages before he did pass away. Um, I don't remember what it was anymore, but he basically said that he lived a happy life and everything. And I think in the in the movie he kind of got his enlightenment just before he died, which while it was sad, it was still kind of a a um, oh what's the word for it a small mercy I suppose so hmm. yeah how's I... that for a last one. <laughs> I was reading up on this on Wikipedia while you were talking, and uh, in the book, uh, John Krakauer uh, wrote a book uh, you know, about him, and basically there one possibility as far as his death is what they call uh, uh, rabbit starvation. And essentially, you know, he was increasing his activity and the game that he was catching, you know, primarily small game, like rabbits and squirrels, things like that, there's really not a lot, there's really no fat 
on uh, on rabbits. And so I'd heard about this before, but I'd kind of forgotten about it. But because he wasn't able to, you know, get any fat in, he was eating this lean meat, it can actually put your body into a state of ketosis, kind of like the Atkins diet. And, you know, you, you starve while you're still eating. And I thought that was uh, you know, a pretty interesting scenario. Uh, you know, you've got to keep your diet varied. You can't be, you know, depending on just small game. You've got to, you know, find something that's got some fat in it. Um, but that was one possible suggestion as why he died. And the other was uh, there might have been some uh, toxic mold that had grown on some of the, you know, the grains or the seeds that he was eating. Um I think they did find the, the toxic mold that was in there, but, you know, he's storing a, a seeds in damp bags and that possibly had a mold that he was ingesting that was also contributing to his uh, starvation. So, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think they had anything real conclusive. I think they ended up with a couple of different theories about it. Yeah. I, either way, whichever way it was, it sucked to die that way. Yeah. I'm kidding. Oh, I, yep. and I the uh, the movie itself was great. I mean, I I remember when it came out. You know, I I had to see it. And uh, one thing that's that's almost magical about the movie is, um, for me, having Eddie Vedder do the the soundtrack to it. It just put it in a whole complete different level. And it really took you like like you were along for the ride with this guy. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you were his sidekick and, you know, it just, you know, the, the Eddie Vedder, you know, if you guys are, you know, fans of Pearl Jam or whatever, it just, everything fit. You know, the the scenery fit, you know, um, I forget the actor's name who, who played the main guy, but... Um, he did hurt. an excellent job. He did a wonderful job. Um, you know, and then you've got you know the the soundtrack behind it, and it just it everything came together, and it made it extremely real. Um, and one thing that that I think we need to take away from this is, yeah, he was ill prepared for what he was doing. But a lot of times, you know, why why we're doing, you know, the wilderness survival training and everything else, it's because of the adventures that we put ourselves into. Um, if, you know, if we just, you know, go out and, you know, play golf, I'm not a golfer, but if you just go out and play golf, you'll have, you know, golf-related, you know, injuries or accidents and stuff like that. You know, we do a lot of hunting, you know, and thanks to party geocaching now and, you know, hiking and camping where, you know, we're not in the best of terrain a lot. And, you know, I think even to this day, you know, we are, um, we are so outdoorsy because we want to get away from the hustle and bustle of, you know, society anyway. So it's our it's our quick jaunt to get away from all of it. 
that put us into potential situations like this. And, uh, you know, just as he put himself into a situation, um, every time we do something, you know, as simple as, you know, going in and sighting in your favorite rifle to, you know, going out and looking for a couple of caches, um, you know, we're potentially putting ourselves in, in the, uh, in the, in da- you know, some danger, you know, potentially. So, um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, that's one thing we definitely need to take care, take away from this is to be able to take care of ourselves depending on the situation. And, uh, yeah, that's great. That's great. I, I, I definitely agree with you, Tim. This is, uh, five campfire. Yeah. Movie, definitely. What do you think, think about Corey? Everybody, I think everybody grabbed some really good movies um, that go around, and uh, there's some movies I, I hadn't heard of, and uh, some movies I want to revisit again. Um, I think The Edge I watch, you know, at least once every year, mm-hmm. <laughs> some way or another, and uh, I haven't watched Into the Wild. <clears throat> Uh, here lately, but uh, definitely something I want to revisit. Um, if I remember right, though, it's a long movie. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't it like three hours long, three and a half hours long? <laughs> it's about two and a half. <laughs> it's it's almost as long as this podcast. Almost. I think this definitely yeah. goes down as long as podcast. Yeah, we're, we're pushing, what, six hours now, guys? Let's <laughs> remember. Yeah, remember, it's only, it, we'll have it done in 15 minutes. That's the way it always starts out. <laughs> and, and so, so, What was it, like $5 a minute? Is that right for this one nine nine hundred number that we're calling here? <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> that, that's how we make our money to, to keep our, our free website going. Last yeah. time I volunteered to help you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, hey guys, I think we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna we're gonna uh, call the podcast and uh, thank you very much for everything you guys did, all the research, all the watching the movies. I know that's that's hard to do, um, especially with busy lives and everything, but it's very much appreciated. Hopefully, all of our listeners appreciate it. Hopefully, they they like this. Um, it's kind of a kind of a different venue for us, but. It's uh it's something new, you know, we'll do it every once in a while and uh you know, just uh kinda give a little bit of break of the you know, doom and gloom and and uh you know, the cold in the woods and, and all that that we usually um hit on. But um like I said, thank you guys very much. I really appreciate your help with this and uh for all the other listeners. Um you know, look look for more and if you're interested in possibly helping out with one of these shows um, where we have the members call in, you know, if you're not a member, become a member. And if you are a member, you know, send us an email or a voicemail and, you know, let us know that, uh, that, that you would like to, you know, be featured on, on one of these upcoming shows. Corey, do you have anything to add? I just want to thank, uh, Hardy and Tim Tay for, uh, doing this with us tonight. Um, it's something that we've been wanting to do for a while and, uh, I want to thank you guys for all your, your feedback and your uh, forum posts and uh, keeping everything going and making this a community that we really want it to be. And uh, you know, all of our listeners, you know, give us their feedback. 
Um, check out our website at www.survivaltech.webs.com. Um, add to our forums, check it out. Um, it seems like we got you know new forum posts going up, you know, daily new topics. If you don't see something you like or see something you want to post to, um, create your own topic. Yeah, um, there's nothing you know really restricted on our website. We really want to make it a, a community. Hardy, Tim K, you guys got something you want to add to say goodbye to cast or you want to end it out with my uh, my famous Stay Alive America? Ooh, that'd be fun. What do you say, Hardy? Uh, I'll let you do it. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. Go ahead. Go for it. All right. Well, I, I suppose if along the lines of having people join in on this, if anybody thinks that we're full of crap and they think they could do it better, I'd say absolutely join and volunteer and put you guys in the lime phone light and uh, see how it goes. But uh, I'm sure Hardy will follow this, and we really appreciate the opportunity, too. It's been a lot of fun. We've been working on this for a week, talking on this stuff. So, Yeah. Um, yeah, but as I said, everybody, stay alive, America. <laughs>